Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content here at Open Banking Expo and I'm your host for the next 30 minutes or so. Today I'm joined by Leon Mewis, Chief Business Officer at Yolt Technology Services, the open banking provider. It surpassed 1 billion API calls in October in 2020 after only three years in operation. And earlier this year, Yolt was granted its own PSD2 license by the Financial Conduct Authority, having previously operated under the license of parent company ING. Leon joins me today to discuss open banking payments, uh, YTS's grand plans for 2021, and where next for regulation. Leon, hello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Hi, Ellie. Yes, great to be here. And before I sort of fire away with a few questions for you, perhaps you can explain a little bit more about your role at your technology services and, and what that entails. Yeah, definitely. So I joined Yolt uh, over four years ago when it was still just the Yolt app, our money management consumer facing proposition. And I joined the Yolt team and immediately we saw open banking was starting in the UK, obviously due to go live in January 2018. And we wanted to bring these APIs to the Yolt users as quickly as possible. And the only way to do that was to connect it ourselves. So they sent me to London to join the Open Banking Working Groups, and the rest is history, uh, if you will. And uh, I've led kind of our open banking endeavors. And from there, we also set up Yield Technology Services as kind of the uh, SaaS provider of the same capabilities, which we're also delivering to the Yield app. Great. And uh, let's start with open banking payments then, which I know is a kind of area of focus for your technology services. And um, I wanted to find out what you think are the kind of main stumbling blocks in the payments process that open banking can really help to overcome. Yeah, I think already to quickly summarize, three points are important in, in a payment process. One is security, the second is ease of use, and the third is cost. And to touch on those three, for example, looking at open banking payments, I think first and foremost, it can bring enhanced security, leading to lower fraud risk and potentially also lower chargebacks. And as with open banking payments, there's no need for an end user to put in their credit card details, for example. And that also means that this sensitive card information does not need to be stored by either the merchant or another party in the payment chain. And I think that just makes it a, a more easy and secure way of making the actual payment. And is then less, you know, one worry less for the merchant, if you will, to not have to store this information. Looking at the cost side, uh, there we also see a lot of appetite for open banking payments because currently the transaction costs on credit card payments, especially, are quite high. Uh, obviously, there's the looming news of the potential hike in interchange fees by the card providers. And this means that a lot of merchants, uh, retailers are looking for alternative payment means. And then PIS is a very viable alternative from a cost perspective. So it's a flat fee per transaction typically, where on the credit card, it could be up to 3% of the value of the transaction. And then finally, on the ease of use, and both for consumer and a merchant, is that you know, the underlying payment method is faster payments in the UK and a separate credit transfer across Europe. So you get the money 
pretty much instantly, which is also a clear benefit, especially in these you know, tough times we are in and you need cash flow uh, as a business. So I think those are kind of the key benefits uh, and then you know, actual stumbling blocks that open banking payments can help with. Mm-hmm. And in that case then, I mean, you know, you mentioned that the pandemic there and um, just kind of exacerbating the, the need for sort of um, more secure and, and lower cost kind of payments options here. So are you seeing enough sort of innovation in the payment space, do you think, or perhaps even more innovation um, uh, after the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, and actually, I think interestingly enough, there is a lot of innovation in the payment space. And there's, for example, the rise of MPOS, so mobile, mobile point of sale or account-to-account payments, which is effectively open banking payments. And buy now, pay later is obviously uh, uh, definitely rising, not an innovation, but it's definitely a rising trend. But I think, funnily enough, also with the COVID pandemic, it has also led to an enormous surge in demand for PSP platforms, for payment platforms. So that they seem to have focused more on just delivering the service to their existing customers and the increased demand, rather than focusing on innovation. So actually expecting that when the COVID pandemic kind of settles down a bit and a lot of businesses that suddenly had to move from brick and mortar to online, they are realizing, okay, this is probably here to stay. And the payment service providers will hit on that trend and then start to innovate again as soon as the kind of were a bit back to normal. So there has been a bit of a pulse on the innovation, I would say, but I expect that, you know, the rest of this year we'll probably see more coming again. Okay, so given that there's been a kind of little bit of a, a lag, if you like, in terms of innovation, do, do you think that sort of bank and fintech customers will can expect to see, I suppose, new products and services this year, or, or will that have impacted kind of what, what kind of new services are likely to, to be launched? Yeah, so I think this year, I do think we'll see an increase in, uh, in both innovation, but especially also open banking payments and the use of open banking payments. And, but the industry-wide innovations, I think, will take a bit of time to come back up to steam. And you know, that's just my anticipation. Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, and you know, as YTS, we'll obviously keep focusing on delivering you know, as smooth uh, an open banking payment journey as possible where we also try to make it as easy as possible for potential businesses to start using open banking payments without the need for developers connecting APIs, for example. So how can we make it easy to start using it and to also prove the use cases of open banking payments? Because that's needed to then drive further, wider adoption. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of use cases, then, do, do you think there are enough use cases? You, you mentioned there that you'd like to see a, a few more, do you? Yeah, so we, we do see quite a lot of interest now more from the uh, what I would call the big billers, so utility companies, telcos, who, are, have, who have a large part of the customer base paying by direct debit, and that's going fine. But then there's also customers that you know, pay their bill by credit card, which is more expensive, as we previously discussed. And also there's customers where a direct debit fails and then PIS or open banking payments could be a, a nice way for, for example, the customer representative to call this client and say, hey, you missed a payment. Rather than to keep trying this direct debit, why don't you, here's a payment link. You can settle the payment within the next week on the day that's best for you, maybe when you just get your salary and we call it even, if you will. So 
there's a lot of appetite uh, coming from that area. I think where there's a bit less, uh, there's more uncertainty is in the e-commerce space because open banking payments does not really cater well for refunds. So we haven't found a solution for the refund puzzle yet on open banking payments, which is clearly there on the credit card use case, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and how long do you think it will take before there is that uh, refunds sort of solution, if you like? Yeah, I think as an industry, we need to think about it. And open banking has made some movements in that space and they introduced what they call reverse payments. But that's, it sounds a bit different. It's not actually reversing the payment. It's just showing the details of the account where the money came from to make it easier to reverse the payment. So it's not actually a refund. So the, the refunding capability itself is not there. And there is some movement by other players in the market to, for example, create an in-between account where the money is coming in and out of so that they can actually control the refund process for the merchant. So I think it will probably move in that direction or an alternative solution might have to come up. But if we don't solve that, then for e-commerce, uh, open banking payments might be less appealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's an exciting space to watch then, I guess. Um, and uh, perhaps we can come on to talk a, a bit more about kind of regulation because Obviously, we've we've talked uh, about the kind of speed of innovation in, in the payment space, and sometimes that means that you know the regulator can can be on the back foot if if you know they can't keep up. So, do you think regulation and governments generally has been able to respond, um, or or even be sort of a step ahead when it comes to the payments sector? Yeah, it's uh, it's. Tricky question to ask. I would say yes and no. So on the one hand, if you look at the scrutiny that buy now, pay later schemes are under now, eh, where the affordability seems to be an issue sometimes, I think they might have been too late. On the other hand, yeah, who can predict the sudden surge in such a payment method? Uh, where I think they're not really up to date is where they are putting things like the implementation of strong customer authentication on commercial card payments. It's being kept pushed out by the regulator. And to me, that's not a good sign because on the one hand, it's not leveling the play playing field because with open banking payments, there's always strong customer authentication. And then on a credit card payment, there should be by law, but it's being pushed out. And so I think there it, it, it's not really leveling the playing field and there might be different forces at play there. Though I would say that you know, in the UK, uh, there's a very progressive regulator who, in general, I think, is trying to stay a step ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so perhaps there's there's a bit more that they could be doing. Um, but as you say, sometimes, as, as is the case, perhaps with the buy now, pay later um, kind of trend that has suddenly taken off. And, and I, I guess what you're saying is the regulator, you know, doesn't always have that kind of forecasting ability, really. Um, yeah. Let's turn to, to what you're doing specifically at uh, Yolt Technology Services then, because um, I want to find out how, how you've kind of responded to the changing credit needs of consumers and businesses, um, particularly, you know, over the past year. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think what we realized is that the current credit scoring methods are not sufficient, and that's due to the shock impact of COVID for both consumers and businesses. So suddenly people are on furlough schemes or businesses are seeing a 
reduction in demand or they might actually see an increase in demand. So obviously there's also businesses that have fared really well under the pandemic. And therefore we strongly believe that open banking actually has an important role to play there. And it can actually help businesses out of the pandemic or prevent them from being pushed deeper into the uh, deep end, if you will. Because if you're not looking at the right data for credit scoring or underwriting purposes, then you're not making a proper affordability assessment for that business. And typically, credit scoring methods could be either uh, on antiquated old data, because it's deposited annual accounts of two years ago, for example, or it's only very short-term focused for consumers, for example, where it's the past three months, and if you missed one payment, then your credit score is already bad. Or if you're not using a credit product, then you might have a bad score in general. So there we feel that the transaction and balance history delivered via open banking can really give the right insight and make the overall lending and credit market more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you think the the pandemic then kind of shone a light on the limitations of, of the more traditional um, kind of credit and, and lending, credit decision and, and lending methods that, you know, the industry has relied on for so long? Yes, I think what we're realizing, realizing is that there might be different models, different data sets, different data points that we can use and leverage new technology to do a good estimation of the affordability of a business or even a, an individual user. And the affordability part is key because you don't want to over-indebt people. And you also want to make sure that if somebody actually does have a good track record, but their score happens to be 600 or 500, whatever a, a bad score is, then they actually might have a very stable income, but they never used a credit product. But then in that way, you're actually helping them to be included. Mm -hmm. One thing we are seeing though, is that obviously it is a bit of a traditional market. And sometimes we get the comment that the open banking data is too good. So you see too much, but to me, that should never be an argument. So you could see that, hey, uh, Leon spent five, pounds on gambling and oh actually that might be a risk or uh, according to the official models it's a risk uh, then maybe I should be excluded but if you, you know, don't want to see it or act you don't want to see it then you're also not an affordable lender so I think we need to move to a space where we realize that this good data is there and on that basis we need to make the right decisions to for in, in the end customers in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah and and also I guess in terms of, of people's kind of fortunes, I guess the last year has shown that actually uh, individual circumstances and, and the circumstances that business find themselves in can change really quickly. So uh, that data becomes more important than ever, right? Fully agree. I think it's really this data where you can either show that during the pandemic, your business has actually done exceptionally well compared to more historic data or the other way around. And that's why it's critical to not give a business that's already you know, going down the hill alone, which then might push them over the edge, even though they might feel they need the loan to survive, it might just over indebt them. And for uh, private individuals, I think there's two elements there. On the one hand, it's the credit scoring side. On the other hand, it's also the use of open banking for kind of personal finance management. So to get an overview, where am I spending my money? Oh, I'm spending quite a bit on you know, eating out, which obviously in a lockdown is not a great example, but I'm spending a lot of money on something that I should not be spending. And I can see that now and I can actually try to set money aside and, and start saving. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I wanted to come on to a, a, a product that you launched uh, very recently, actually, which is the cash flow analyzer tool. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, the, the cash flow analyzer tool is actually an example where we are also trying to take that step to make it a lot easier for businesses and for lenders and leasing companies in this case to leverage open banking. It's typically, one of the hurdles we see and feedback we get is that, yes, okay, it's nice, I can connect to your API, I can consume the data, but then I need developers and you know, which company now has development capacity to spare? They're all kind of working on all the projects, so it either becomes a long-term project or yeah, it gets postponed forever. And that's why we felt, okay, we need to include a front end. So what we've delivered with the cash flow analyzer is essentially an admin portal where a leasing company who is doing a leasing approval for a small, medium-sized enterprise, let's say there's a, a, a plumber that wants to get a new van and wants to get a lease contract on that van, the underwriter of the leasing company can log into our admin portal, send an email to the uh, end customer, the business in this case, and that business receives the email and with the invitation text logo of the leasing company and says, hey, would you share your transactional data and you can start the flow. So they can start that sharing of the data from that front end, from a link, and they select their bank, they go through the consent journey they, with a redirect to their bank, share the data and then we generate a affordability report which that business can himself first see and say yes i want to share this with the leasing company and then it's used for underwriting purposes and it only uses uh, like up to six data points but it's really insightful and we've built it together also with leasing and lending companies in the netherlands as well as in the uk to make sure that we give them information historic 18-month overview of that business and the affordability. And why? Because as I just mentioned, small businesses, they don't have to deposit their annual accounts. And in the Netherlands, that's 80% of businesses are not obliged to deposit any annual accounts. So that means a credit reference agency doesn't have any information on them and just says random, okay, I would only lend up to 3000 euros to this business. Whereas if you look at the actual underlying cash flow data, it might paint a very different picture and it could be 8,000 euros or it could be 1,500 euros. It, it can obviously go uh, both ways. But that's where we saw the gap in the market and where really we're uh, apparently hitting a, a soft spot because we're signing up quite a few clients uh, in the Netherlands already where we also partnered with another credit reference agency and we're now rolling out the product in the UK as well. That's great to hear. And, and it sounds like a really practical solution. And as you say, it's a insightful as well it must be quite exciting um i'm sure after what is many months of work to get to get that sort of tool out there right definitely and then also obviously get the feedback from the clients and then we have loads of ideas how to improve it and we have uh, the in-house data science team to then also look at okay how can we make it even more relevant but we wanted to start already with a product that we think it's now relevant and especially with the bounce back loans coming to an end. So there's a lot of businesses where affordability and cash flow go hand in hand and they need to somehow show that either they can still afford something or they cannot. And I think this is a tool that can really hit that sweet spot. And with this front end, it, there's no integration needed. So there's no developer, no coding needed. 
to get up and running and use this tool. So that's what makes it, I think, really easy to get on board. And we literally had one client where we went from demo to live in nine days. Well, obviously, that's the kind of sales cycle that I would like to see. Absolutely. And uh, as you say, really important time, a critical time, really, given that government back to loans are kind of coming to an end. So um, at the top of the, the podcast, I mentioned uh, quite a large figure, which was that um, the business surpassed one billion API calls uh, last year. Um, perhaps you can explain why is that kind of significant? I mean, it obviously sounds like a huge number, but what, what does that kind of mean? Yeah, it means that obviously we were the first TPP ever to have a, a successful open banking call back in uh, January 2018. It feels like uh, ages ago already. Uh, but it just shows that, uh, especially in that first year, we pushed really hard on open banking. And there were others who were still a bit skeptical, like, you know, does it work? Does it, and we just made it work. So we collaborated with all the CMA9 banks to make it work and, and push it out to the old users to make use of PSD2 connections or open banking connections and get rid of screen scraping. That's essentially what our main goal. In that first year, we did 90% of all open banking traffic. And obviously, I'm a data guy, so I keep track of our volumes uh, week on week. And you know, it's just nice to see that, in general, open banking volumes are increasing in total. So obviously, our share is diminishing, which for the total ecosystem, I think, is a good thing. But I think... It just shows that the 1 billion, I think now we're already close to 1.6 or 1.7 billion. It shows that we have a robust platform that can handle a lot of volume. And we can scale quickly, we can scale easily, and we can handle all this open banking API volume. And yeah, we do it also in such a way that, for example, the error rates that we see on the APIs are a lot better than the market average. So we're doing something right. And this figure to me just kind of uh, shows that it's substantial and there's a platform that can also cope with all this uh, volume. And what's the next milestone then, having having reached, well, you surpassed a billion, you're now heading towards 1.6 billion, but uh, maybe more widely, you know, what, what other milestones do you think um, YTS is, is sort of gearing up towards? Well, this year, I hope to see the number of our PSD2 and open banking API connections double from the 650 that we have currently to you know, over 1300. So that's uh, one milestone that uh, I hope we will achieve this year. Uh, and next to this, I hope also soon to be able to announce quite all the interesting clients we've spoken to and that we are uh, onboarding in the background now. So I think to me, those are the two things and obviously this, this whole thing only works if there's clients for whom we are solving an actual problem. And with the cash flow analyzer, but also in, gener in general with account aggregation, with the open banking payments, we're solving client problems. And that's in the end what really matters. So it's the clients that obviously you know, make our business a success. And do you think it's a, an exciting time then to be in the sort of payment space, given everything that's going on and, and your own achievements as a business? I think it's the, it's the best time to be in, in finance, but then on the fintech side and on the open banking side. Uh, it's, it's been the ride of my life uh, so far. And uh, I, I was initially, uh, I was part of ING Bank and I jumped to Yolt and it felt like jumping into a speedboat. And 
it's really, you can make things happen. And also with open banking, when we said we want to be the first to have this API, sit down with two developers, make the connection, test it together with the bank, and you know, we're up and running. And from there, like I said, you know, we've never looked back and, and the rest is history. So I think in general, tech is driving a lot of change, also on the insurance side, uh, in the financial side, on the banking side. And I think that's a good thing as long as it leads to favorable outcomes for consumers and businesses. And you know, obviously, if you're not solving a problem, you don't have a sustainable business. So I think those two go hand in hand. Absolutely. And um, Leon, thank you so much for your time today, for answering my questions and being our, our guest on the podcast. It's been great to have you. No, it was a pleasure. And as you can tell, open banking is a topic close to my heart. Absolutely. I, yeah, I can tell that. You're very passionate about it. That's, that's what we like to hear. Thanks a lot. Not only thanks to my guest Leon today, but also thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And to listen back to other episodes in the Open Banking Expo Unplugged series, then go to the on-demand menu on openbankingexpo.com, where you'll see not only our podcast series, but other OBE TV episodes and live panel debates. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.